Welcome to CNAS Live, a podcast that brings you recordings of public events from the Center for a New American Security. What you're hearing today is a previously recorded conversation, but we invite you to visit cnas.org slash events to learn more about upcoming discussions and ways to connect with us. Hello, everyone. My name is Martin Rasser. I'm a senior fellow in the Technology and National Security Program here at CNES. It's my pleasure to welcome you to today's discussion on Russian advances in military automation and AI with Sam Bendit. It's my pleasure to introduce Sam Bendit. Uh, Sam is an advisor with CNA's Adversary Analysis Group, where he is a member of the Russia Studies Program. He's also an adjunct senior fellow here at the Center for New American Security. His work involves research on Russian defense and technology developments, such as unmanned systems and artificial intelligence, as well as Russian naval capabilities and decision-making during crises. Sam is widely published and a true expert in the field. Sam, welcome. Floor is yours. Thank you very much, Martin. Thank you, CNAS. And it's great to be part of this very timely and very interesting discussion. I am going to bring up uh, the slides that I would like uh, everyone to follow as we as we talk this through um, in the beginning uh, just uh, just a few words uh, thank you Martin for for covering my experience um, if you're interested in a uh, in a wider conversation on this topic I invite you to look up some of the analysis that uh, we have published uh, at, at a variety of publications um, this conversation is public and the information taken will be from the public sources. So everything is on the record um, and um, extrapolated from the Russian language media. So how does the uh, Russian Ministry of Defense or the MOD from now on frame the problem of developing um, autonomous weapon systems and artificial intelligence? Well, they always reference Russia's vast territory, extreme um, geographical and weather conditions, uh, very long state border, upcoming demographic issues, and other developments as, um, as an impediment uh, for creating technology that can augment existing human capabilities. So the priorities in the development of robotic combat systems include conducting hostilities against enemy, both in the traditional battlefield with a line of contact between the parties and in an urbanized civilian environment with a chaotically changing environment. A number of key statements, events, documents, and organizations today guide Russia's development of military autonomy and AI. General Valery Gerasimov uh, famously spoke of Syria as the contours of future war, where unmanned systems and robotics are ubiquitous and commonplace. Vladimir Putin and Defense Minister Shoigu also made a number of statements on the need for Russia to develop unmanned and robotic systems, as well as military AI, to make their military more effective and to safeguard from civilian casualties. In 2014, Russian Ministry of Defense released a program, a classified uh, document called Deve Developing Military Robotics Through the Year 2025. So this program actually spells out the future development uh, for unmanned aerial vehicles, UAVs, unmanned ground vehicles, UGVs, unmanned uh, underwater and surface vehicles for the next decade starting with 2014. And I suspect there have been some changes to the document uh, given Russia's experience in Syria. Uh, starting in 2017, the MOD is also hosting an annual event called the Robotics Development and the Armed Forces that bring together the MOD, the uh, military industrial complex, and the academia to discuss the ongoing and future research and development of unmanned robotic systems, as well as, as, well as to develop standards. Uh, there are also uh, a variety of forums where unmanned technology and AI is discussed. The chief of them is the annual army event that takes place in August. It is going to take place in the summer this year, and uh, Russian government hasn't uh, stated that it is going to be rescheduled. So that forum that brings together lots of domestic and international uh, attendees is going to be one of the um, main uh, platforms for classified and unclassified discussions on that topic. And just as important, in 2012, Russia launched its own DARPA, or Fond Perspektivnych Isledovini, that's the logo on the bottom left that you're seeing, or Advanced Research Foundation, ARF, from now on. And uh, ARF has the same mission as the American DARPA, to develop breakthrough technologies and to serve as a testing ground for new and exciting tech. 
Uh, the Ministry of Defense itself also houses the main research center for robotics and the main directorate for research and technological support of advanced technologies. Um, how does the MOD conceptualize the use of unmanned military technologies? So in 2016, ARF's uh, director, Mr. Grigoriev, noted that future wars will actually be fought by robots and drones. He said, this will be a war of operators and vehicles. Soldiers will no longer shoot each other on the battlefield. According to Grigoriev, this future war belongs to the unmanned systems that are multifunctional and capable of operating in any environment. This year, uh, Mr. Vitaly Davidov, ARF's deputy director, noted very famously that the use of such technology is inevitable. If, quote unquote, we do not want people to continue to die on the battlefield. He also said that humans will gradually begin to be replaced by their robotic brothers and sisters who can act faster, more accurately, and more selectively than people. It is also important to note that the main MOD requirements for the military robotic research, development, testing, and evaluation, or RDTNE as an acronym from now on, is the following. Adaptability to external environment and combat missions, multidimensionality, that is the unmanned systems that can function in the air, on land, at sea, and in space, self-organization in a short time while implementing basic functions as well as advanced functions, uh, these robotic systems should have combat and functional stability uh, when facing uh, enemy actions such as electronic warfare and other systems. They should include modern systems for collecting, processing, and managing information, and they should be a, uh, there should be a continuous replenishment of ammo on the battlefield for these robotic systems. Now, uh, Russian development and use of unmanned uh, systems in general can be divided into two stages. Stage one uh, has to do with uh, before Russia got involved in Syria prior to 2015. And the second stage in which we're in right now is the post-2015, post-Syrian involvement. So prior to Russia's involvement in Syria, most development took place domestically and the military industrial organizations actually led the effort. There were a lot of self-initiated projects. After Russia's involvement in Syria and all the lessons gained there with uh, conventional and unmanned and advanced systems, Russian Ministry of Defense and the government is actually dictating to the industry what requirements it needs on the battlefield. Um, so, for example, in Syria, a Russian military conducted a very extensive around-the-clock UAV operations for better ISR, intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance. Um, Russian forces use short, medium, and long-range UAVs for the first time in their military history. Also for the first time, the number of sorties flown by unmanned aerial vehicles exceeded the number of manned sorties. Uh, these Russian UAV missions in Syria included recon, providing target designation, controlling airstrikes, as well as adjusting artillery fire. That is, the UAVs are now key part of what the MOD calls the reconnaissance fire, and reconnaissance strike contour, or military methods designed for the coordinated employment of artillery, aircraft, high-precision, long-range weapons linked to real-time intelligence data and precise targeting. Uh, the UAVs are basically acting as the indispensable eyes and ears for the Russian military. And at this point, the MOD has over 2,000 UAVs. That is a lot when compared to the years 2012, 2013, when the Russian military has less than, had less than 200. Um, Russian demining and engineering forces also used uh, several unmanned ground vehicles in Syria to identify and expose IEDs. Uh, Russian Navy tested an unmanned underwater vehicle off the port of Tartus. And the Russian military also conducted testing and evaluation of several combat UAVs and UGVs, uh, aerial and ground unmanned systems. Not all of those tests were successful, but using such technology in actual combat conditions was essential to determine how battlefield stresses can affect unmanned systems. So Russian military officers in their public discussions and writing now point to post-Syria uh, conflicts having several key consequences on how future combat will take place. And these consequences are increasing maneuverability of forces and efficiency of combat command and control, increasing the destructive efficiency of the armed forces, by combining digital control systems with different types of military units with operational information data that is constantly updated. And of course, the increasing use of multifunctional and combat unmanned systems, primarily UAVs. 
So today, the Syrian experience is resulting in structural changes across the Ministry of Defense. So the MOD currently organizes, organizes its growing drone fleet by companies, which are divided into platoons based on size and range of the UAVs they operate. Some UAVs are becoming part of Russian artillery brigades and artillery regiments. ISR UAVs, that is UAVs used for intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance, are used regularly in military drills and exercises for aerial recon and intelligence gathering, as well as for electronic warfare and artillery fire correction. They're also becoming an official part of the motorized artillery, infantry, and other units across the armed services. Russia's engineering forces are also taking the delivery of some of the unmanned ground vehicles that were tested in Syria. And the MOD also announced that its Uran-9 combat UGV will also become part of the military. Russian Navy's ongoing research and development today also points to ISR and situational awareness as key criteria for its unmanned maritime use. So Syrian combat is influencing Russia's prospective unmanned systems development. Russian developers are working on uh, a variety of projects with ground, aerial, and unmanned systems. And the current MOD unmanned military wish list following its involvement in Syria and following what it has been able to observe includes, the unmanned systems should be able to independently recognize targets, use weapons, and interact in groups and swarms. These robots should have the ability to solve tasks in different combat conditions day and night, under fire, under electronic and information uh, counteraction, radiation and chemical contamination, and electromagnetic radiation. These robotic systems should theoretically have the ability to independently perform various tasks, that is, they're hinting at artificial intelligence guiding and operating the systems. And in the near future, MOD is planning to actually initiate work aimed at providing technical support for solving these problems. So several new unmanned weapon systems are currently in development that combine the practical experience gained over the past five years with the constantly updated MOD's technology wish list. Earlier, I mentioned the uh, ARF, or Russia's DARPA. It is now one of the main focal points for developing breakthrough and, um, and testing of unmanned uh, and autonomous technologies. Back in 2014, it tested one specific UGV called Nirechta as a testbed for AI and cooperative work with UAVs. ARF also created a national center for the development of technologies and basic elements. So ARF currently works on a flagship project, uh, project called Marker, and that is the images that you're seeing right now on your screen. Uh, Marker UGV is a testbed for the command and control, manned-on-manned teaming, and swarm UAV UGV use, as well as a testbed for testing UGVs with other weapons and equipment. It is also there uh, to test autonomous control and positioning systems, to test technical vision, uh, high precision drives and, and sensor systems. In the near future, the plan is for the marker to become a fully autonomous weapon and to be able to independently carry out a wide range of combat tasks. Uh, when it comes to the marker operation, the operator should be able to give only target designation and this robot will decide how to move towards the target, taking into account the type of terrain in order to overcome, overcome obstacles encountered on the way forward, as well as select and apply the most optimal use of weaponry on the spot. Uh, Marker will also be equipped with a range of ISR and loitering munition UAVs, so we can work together with an aerial unmanned component as well as other UGVs. ARF, um, for the record, also works with an uh, unmanned underwater vehicle called SARMA, which is supposed to operate autonomously in Russia's north so it can navigate the northern sea route and the Arctic littorals. Since I've already mentioned AI in unmanned military systems, I would like to go over the main AI intelligence principles and efforts across the Russian military. So according to the MOD's own statements, AI research across this enterprise is supposed to be conducted across three main areas. Creation of knowledge-based systems to augment existing weapons, the neural net and the neural systems, and the heuristic search uh, systems, meaning a technique designed for solving a problem more quickly when classical methods are, are too slow. 
MOD thinks that AI should be used to create automated information systems, that is, decision support systems for weapons, as well as for onboard computers in a variety of Russian manned and unmanned weapons. AI is also supposed to uh, augment the so-called expert systems, as the Russians call them, knowledge-based AI methods to solve intellectual practical problem. And more specifically, the Advanced Research Foundation actually submitted its own plan for AI development across the military back in 2018. And this plan included image recognition, speech recognition, control of autonomous military systems and weapons, and support for the weapons life cycle. There are many examples of AI-enabled Russian weapons undergoing testing and evaluation that have been announced for the past six or seven years. Uh, several more prominent recent examples include the Vitez unmanned underwater vehicle that has recently descended to the bottom of the Mariana Trench. This deep diving submersible had an onboard AI, as announced by the MOD, for navigation and independent problem solving. And this particular unmanned underwater vehicle was a uh, design where uh, Advanced Research Foundation, uh, main Russia's design bureaus, as well as the fleet, all had uh, input in what this UUV is supposed to be doing. Russian military announced that its uh, new heavy unmanned combat UAVs, like the Ahotnik and the Altius, will have an onboard AI for decision-making in order to avoid uh, enemy air defenses, as well as for independent navigation. Another often cited AI-enabled weapon is the electronic warfare system that is supposed to be able to analyze signals and intel um, intelligence and data for a faster decision-making tool for the human operator. So the MOD debates on the safety of AI-enabled weapons include the discussion that AI-enabled systems may be actually safe from hackers since AI generates behavioral algorithms on its own. And it's, instead of using a constant physical memory, if the, this memory consists of new and immediately uh, decaying chains of neural connections uh, that are difficult to retrace, therefore, uh, this weapon and its um, electronic brain would be difficult to hack. Uh, another important AI use in the, is the information space and cyber warfare. In 2018, the MOD actually remarked that in today's combat, uh, the advantage belongs not just to physical weapons, but also information weapons. And so AI should be able to help Russia win in information space and cyberspace. Whoever controls it, and I quote, who can organize opposition in the right way, is the winner today. So therefore, for the uh, Russian uh, military general staff and for its military establishment, the emergence in the future of autonomous tactical weapons and colossal computing power for intelligent reconnaissance, analysis of weapons, of Russia's forces, and fighting optimal solutions means that the strategies and methods for deploying and commanding troops will probably have to change. The MOD will also have a central research development center on AI that is housed at the ERA Technopolis or ERA Technopolis, a new physical center that opened in late 2018. This technology city is located on Russia's Black Sea coast and is designed for the young, promising Russian SMT officials to work and, and soldiers, as well as those from um, across the forces to work with the private sector and the public sector to develop breakthrough solutions. But the ERA Technopolis is actually under the auspices of the MOD so that the solutions will belong to the military in the long run. So ERA's key mission will be AI development artificial neural, neural network technologies for defense and security. Uh, ERA's research development, testing, and evaluation will find applications in reconnaissance, control systems, and precision weapons, according to the MOD. ERA will also house a supercomputer and a data center that will be used for defense and industrial enterprises. So this is the uh, overall view of where Russian autonomy and AI stands today. I look forward to your questions and comments. Excellent. Thank you so much, Sam. Well, we already have uh, several questions uh, lined up, so let's, uh, let's dive straight into those. Uh, first one uh, is from Charles DeLapp. And this is an important question. Um, I'll, I'll just paraphrase here, but um, essentially um, what Charles would like to know is how Russia views the use of unmanned weapon system. Is it different from the West. Um, in particular, um, 
Charles has heard that Russia is more likely to use AI and automation to include weapons employment decisions. Um, so what, Sam, are Russia's views on the necessity of a human in the loop or a human on the loop versus fully autonomous decision making uh, when it comes to, to lethal automation? It's a great question. So at this point, the official Russian military stance is that the human will always be part of the decision making cycle. Uh, even as the Russian MOD plans future fully autonomous weapons development. For example, Russian position on laws or lethal autonomous weapon systems debates at the United Nations always highlight the human in the loop. And today, in testing and evaluation and man-on-man um, teaming tests, the human should be able to control the weapon. So when it comes to the um, AI sort of on board, uh, which is uh, often... Uh, what the Russians are describing, how AI will augment sort of existing and future aircraft or helicopters or tanks. Um, the AI is supposed to analyze the situation and give the most optimal result so that the human in the end can push the red button. Now, we don't know how those debates will change uh, in the long run as the battlefield situation changes across all domains. When Russian soldiers and uh, UAV or unmanned systems operators will have to face simultaneous threats both in the physical space, air, land, sea, or above and, and below water, as well as in cyberspace and in space proper. Excellent. Um, okay, Sam, let's, uh, we'll go to uh, Justin Sherman. He has a raised hand. Go ahead, please, Justin, with your question. Hey, Sam, Justin Sherman from Atlantic Council here. You spoke a little bit briefly about the belief that some of these AI systems for various reasons might not be hackable or might be more hack-proof. Can you speak a little bit more about sort of the cybersecurity concerns on the part of MOD as they increasingly deploy these systems? So there are a lot of testing and evaluations actually taking place uh, within the ERA Technopolis that deals with uh, cybersecurity for AI. Um, I don't have a lot of uh, sort of details, but uh, what we can glean from uh, their discussions and debates is um, we, we kind of see repeated statements uh, that AI systems, the neural networks, are going to be safer simply because of the way they're constructed. So the Russians want to move away from kind of the physical memory and, um, and the physical operating uh, plane for these unmanned systems as they move on to kind of the next level to the AI-enabled systems. Uh, these statements are, uh, some are detailed, some are a little bit more vague, but um, the MOD is convinced that in order for them to successfully field autonomous and AI weapons, they will have to be completely secure. And of course, uh, the uh, possibility of a hack by the enemy is always in the back of their minds. But the public statements today point to Russia's working through the cybersecurity problem set in order to make the system sort of uh, hack-proof. Right, excellent. Uh, next question is from uh, uh, Matthew Buleg. Um, Matthew wants to know, what do you make of the current development of UUVs? Is this a credible challenge for the West? And where is Russia compared to peer and near-peer competitors? And I would like to add on as a corollary. So the um, Advanced, Advanced Research Foundation that you mentioned earlier is doing a competition for marine robotics. Um, how effective are these types of competitions? It struck me as something similar to uh, the, the DARPA challenges. Um, do you see breakthroughs in marine robotics coming out of uh, a competition like that? It is actually very similar to the robotics challenges. And the ARF, as well as the MOD, wants to engage Russia's vast um, academia and as well as younger kids in order to, um, to first of all, familiarize them with the um, unmanned underwater and surface vehicles development in order to familiarize them with robotics in general and for a more advanced stage of these uh, competitions that involve Russia's universities as well as design bureaus to actually develop breakthrough solutions. And so um, at this point, uh, there's a lot of unmanned underwater vehicle development taking place because Russia sees its inability to hear, quote unquote, or see what is happening in the global ocean as a threat. Obviously, it's a problem that is faced by all navies and all militaries because the, um, the global ocean is so vast. But Russians wants to want to field uh, unmanned underwater vehicles to sort of be the eyes and the ears below water to help the submarines in the surface and aerial 
and ground-based assets develop a better situational awareness of what is actually taking place. So there are a lot of projects uh, happening for both uh, deep diving um, and, and, uh, and sort of surface vehicles. There are a lot of projects taking place with smaller unmanned underwater vehicles, which are tethered, as well as with those that can dive to the depths of several thousand feet. Again, the, the issue here is whether they can uh, field sort of a network of these UUVs that can coordinate with surface and other manned underwater um, assets for a better picture of what is taking place. Now how, um, how do capabilities such as uh, seabed cable attacks factor into UUV development? Do you see uh, um, a distinct effort to pursue greater capabilities on that front? Well, um, from, uh, from the open media, it's kind of difficult to discern exactly uh, um, what the goal is. But we can also discern that if Russia is developing uh, deep diving submersibles that can function autonomously and coordinate their actions on their own, then they're probably going to uh, go after specific targets that are, that are below waters, whether that be cables, uh, submarines, or, or other assets. So possibly the threat is there. Russians are rather mute about that right now as they're testing these systems. But we have to understand that if um, a range of unmanned underwater vehicles is fielded that can descend up to five or 6,000 feet below surface, then those vehicles are probably going after certain threats. Great. Well, let's, uh, let's pivot a little bit. So we've talked a lot about specific military systems, but as uh, Stephen Beekman points out, every military organization encompasses a bureaucracy and that necessitates a lot of manpower as well. So is Russia looking into applying AI to lessen the need for manpower in this bureaucracy? Well, um, at this point, when we look at the MOD statements, uh, they are talking about AI as an assistant in decision-making. So for example, Russia's National Defense Coordination Center that opened um, uh, recently, uh, which is supposed to be kind of the nerve center for all the information collected on the MOD domestic and international activities, will soon have an AI assistant. And that AI assistant will help this center analyze vast text and imagery in order to arrive at the best decision. And that is kind of what the Russian government and the, and, the, and the MOD are discussing when they're mentioning AI. So this is something that will assist in decision-making, assist in gathering and analyzing data. Yeah. So here's a question on cost, right? Well, so what's the affordability of, of these types of systems? Uh, the state armaments program, it's, it's quite ambitious, but compared to, for example, what the United States or China spends on defense, it's relatively modest. So how, how is Russia allocating its resources? Um, because what are the trade-offs between maintaining legacy systems, building new capabilities in AI and automation, maintaining the force generally? How do you see this playing out? So there are several issues in your uh, question. So issue number one, all spending uh, for unmanned systems or AI, and for that matter, conventional systems, has already been allocated within the state armaments program. That is, Russians aren't going to go outside of the boundaries set by that specific document. Second of all, Russians um, have been modernizing some of their older equipment, but they're also moving to the production and the evaluation of new equipment. Uh, we see and hear statements from the MOD that point to specific services having 60 or 65 or 70 percent modern or modernized equipment going forward. And so the costs for the unmanned military systems are actually built into that state armaments program. And of course, the costs vary. So today, Russian media released um, uh, a figure of 1 billion ruble as a cost for the large, heavy, stealthy, Ohotnik unmanned uh, combat um, aerial vehicle, the, the UCAF, uh, as, well as, um, uh, as well as the cost for uh, insuring that vehicle for 1.3 billion rubles. And again, uh, Russian program and the costs and the spending is done in rubles. They're buying things in rubles. So converting them to dollars isn't necessarily helpful because Russians are spending dollars for uh, manpower or for development or for manufacturing those weapons. They're spending rubles. Um, other costs that have become public, for example, include the fact that um, the Orlan-10 UAV, which is the workhorse 
of the Russia's 2,000 plus UAV fleet. Uh, costs around 100,000 each. A smaller UAV like Aileron costs around $80,000 in 2013 um, costs. Um, and um, in late 2019, for example, I'm going to read this off. MOD um, contracted for a total of 84 four-post uh, medium altitude long endurance UAVs. That is Russia's longest ranged UAV right now, along with ground um, control stations for around 30 billion rubles. So the costs definitely vary, and some weapons are more expensive than others. But it is all built into the uh, state armaments program for specific time periods, through 25 or past 2025. Excellent. Great insight. Um, so Byron Callen, uh, he asked the, uh, you know, the big question. Deceptively, uh, well, it's a simple question, but extremely difficult to, uh, to answer. Are Russian systems good? Um, and so uh, Byron raises the point, Syria seems like a fairly permissive environment to test equipment. So ultimately, what, uh, what lessons learned from the Syria conflict is Russia applying to its, its currently fielded systems, but also what, uh, what are they applying to research and development for future systems? For uh, Russian forces in Syria, UAVs were a big tactical success. That is, they were able to fly several UAV models and gain situational awareness up to 10 kilometers or several miles out, up to uh, 10 to 15 miles out, up to uh, about 60 to 70 miles out with the help of Orlan uh, UAV, as well as up to 250 kilometers out or roughly uh, 140 to 150 miles. Uh, and yes, Syria was a permissive environment, but for the record, it was also permissive in, um, in the Middle East uh, writ large and the conflicts where the United States was involved, Iraq, Afghanistan, where a lot of UAVs flew, was also a permissive environment. That is, there wasn't a lot of counter UAV activity taking place. So the lessons uh, learned right now from Syria and other conflicts, for example, like Libya, where there's a lot of counter UAV activity taking place, has now pushed Russian military to incorporate counter UAV defenses into their CONOPS or concept of operations and tactics, techniques, and procedures. Right now, Russian military is pushing UAV use down to pretty much every company across the forces. That is, all Russian forces, whether they're active combat or supporting, like comms or medics or, or other services, have to be familiar with how to fly and operate a UAV, a smaller UAV, not a sophisticated one, as well as how to defend themselves against such UAVs. So while Syria was a permissive environment for flying Russian hardware, it also served as a very harsh lesson for what happens when the opposing side uses less sophisticated UAVs to essentially rain bombs on Russian helmets from the sky. Uh, that actually makes for a great segue to our next question from Larry Lewis. Uh, do you see signs that um, uh, excuse me? Um, do you see signs that Russia is also developing new concepts of operations, changing their training, and making other institutional changes to accompany the new capabilities? Yes, absolutely. So, like I just mentioned, counter UAV training is going to become commonplace across all Russian services. Um, as well as uh, UAV operation uh, for required companies and, um, and battalions will also become commonplace. Every Russian military branch, every Russian military fleet has uh, UAVs and is learning how to fly UAVs, both short range as well as longer range, using the four post up to 250 kilometers out. Excellent. Here's a big question from uh, Andrea Kendall-Taylor. How much collaboration do you see between Russia and China on this technology and innovation? There's some cooperation in the technology main, uh, domain through technology parks, joint workshops, and centers of excellence. But are they willing to work together on these more sensitive technologies with military applications? So, so that's a great question. Yeah. Oh, great yeah, go question. ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Um, that's a great question. I'll answer with several caveats. Um, Andre is right that there's a lot of civilian developments taking place. There have been a lot of announcements. Uh, there have been a lot of kind of cooperative work at the academic level between the Russian and Chinese institutions. We haven't seen a lot of uh, AI or high-tech or unmanned military developments taking place. For example, uh, Russia has announced that it is going to cooperate with China as well as other countries within the BRICS organization. That is the international organization that includes um, Russia, China, as well as 
Brazil, India, and South Korea. And so there's a lot of uh, uh, science and technology research and development, or SMT and R&D work, that is going to take place within that organizational framework. There's also a lot of other um, sort of um, bilateral efforts that are taking place, more on the civilian side. But when it comes to the military, we're probably, uh, we're probably going to see some kind of high-tech cooperation uh, that, that will take place in the near term. So two years ago, Russia and China cooperated together at the Vostok 2018 military exercise. Uh, and so they were combining their ground forces as well as some of their command and control elements. I think with the ubiquitousness and the commonplace of unmanned systems in the military today, we're probably going to see downrange some kind of cooperative arrangements, for example, in bilateral training, military training between the Russians and the Chinese as they conduct these large-scale exercises, where Russian unmanned assets and the Chinese unmanned assets will have to some kind of cooperate via a common command and control center. We haven't seen specifically any announcements, and again, this presentation is drawn from public sources. We haven't seen any announcements on Russian military AI cooperation with China or any specific uh, unmanned military project that will involve uh, Russia's Chinese counterparts. But I think downrange, if the nations are going to become closer when it comes to their military, um, uh, military cooperation, we'll probably see some of that uh, work become more public. Now, is there also this type of cooperation potentially in the works in the private sector as well? Uh, so companies developing, you know, dual use capabilities that could ultimately be applied in, in a military setting as well? I think so. And again, judging from the public statements, there are a lot of announcements about joint work to develop specific uh, systems, specific high tech efforts. Uh, for example, Russia and China have announced that they are going to explore the Arctic together and chances are um, that exploration won't just involve manned surface vessels like regular ships, will probably involve some kind of civilian uh, USV uh, unmanned surface vehicle and unmanned underwater vehicle project. So we are seeing hints that this cooperation is increasing, but we mostly see that on the civilian side. So we talked about the state armaments program a little bit earlier. And so one of the, the big issues that the Russian defense industry has had, uh, particularly since the collapse of the Soviet Union, is just a lack of funds. And a lot of the funding for Russian defense companies, particularly for R&D, comes from uh, foreign sales. So Brian, uh, Byron Callen wants to know, is Russia exporting its unmanned or AI systems, uh, similar to what China has been doing with its UAVs? That's a great question. So the short answer is no. I think Russia wants to be where China is today. Uh, but um, at this point, we haven't seen any specific results. We have seen announcements, and Russians have hinted at various military expos that took place both in Russia and overseas that there are a lot of uh, foreign customers interested in Russian um, UAV and UGV um, samples. Uh, there have been hints that some of those customers will come from the Middle East. Uh, there was also an announcement uh, last year that, for example, Russia and Brazil were supposed to cooperate on developing Russia's Orlan UAV in Brazil for the Brazilian military. Um, and of course, um, the best uh, example of how those systems work is in combat. So Russia can claim effectiveness of its uh, UAVs, for example, in Middle Eastern conflicts. But we haven't actually seen uh, a contract inked for a UAV or UGV or for that matter, unmanned maritime system quite yet. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that the market is currently saturated, that there are market leaders and China is amongst them. And now nations that want to cooperate with uh, another country in importing that country's unmanned military solutions probably has a lot of choices. But I think with uh, Russia's push to kind of make its uh, unmanned, uh, military unmanned systems uh, success known, we're probably going to see some of those contracts materialize. Let's, uh, let's pivot. There's a, an important question from Douglas Williams. Um, how do we think <clears throat> Russia is contemplating the ethical and legal use of autonomy uh, and AI in military systems? Will systems that begin to think and make decisions on how their own, uh, on their own, be subject to the usual laws and rules of war? 
I think Russian military is working through that problem set. I read you out a wish list for the MOD unmanned systems development. And that wish list definitely includes um, unmanned, uh, unmanned military vehicles that think on their own in an uncertain environment. But that will probably be on a limited scale. That is, for example, um, in a given conflict, the unmanned um, ground or aerial vehicle will be assigned a sort of a, a very specific mission set so that it will not deviate from that mission set if it functions um, autonomously. But again, and uh, within the same breath, Russian military advisors and Russian military um, officials are talking about this sort of inadmissibility of the loss of human control, that humans will always be in the loop and will make the final decision. And again, it's not clear, as I've mentioned earlier, how that will be re reconciled with a potential conflict where uh, threats that face uh, unmanned systems operators will have to be calculated in nanoseconds. And, um, and a decision will have to be calculated within a nanosecond as well. One of the longstanding structural weaknesses of the Russian military is its reliance on conscript forces. So Rich H. would like to know uh, what your thoughts are on how Russia's contract system um, of personnel will adapt in structure or ratio to an increasingly high-tech and unmanned force. How do you see that playing out as Russian autonomy and AI capabilities mature over time? We know that the general trend across the Russian military is the use of more contract force. And as, uh, as contract military kind of resigns for, for more years to serve, those people will actually gain uh, uh, very key expertise in both uh, in conflict and in peacetime. So Russian military would like to move from the full conscript model sort of downrange. Conscripts are still an important part of the Russian military enlistment, but it is becoming kind of a smaller part as far as Russian military stands. And as I mentioned earlier, the military has been successful in pushing the unmanned solutions down to the very tactical level. So there are um, at least 40 UAV companies across the Russian military, and that number is probably going to grow. And as I also mentioned, as every fleet, every military formation, every military service will become familiar with UAVs or uh, unmanned ground vehicles for uh, situational awareness, for protections, or for um, for storming um, enemy hardpoints, for example, um, those, uh, those tactics and those CONOPS, concept of operations, are going to become widespread uh, and, again, pushed down to the very tactical level. So I think there is no resistance within the Russian military to incorporating these solutions, but Russians are seeing what works for them in Syria uh, and uh, which specific lessons should, uh, it with uh, using unmanned systems should be incorporated. A lot of the talk about Russian military modernization over the past decade. There's always been a lot of ambitions, high aspirations. So Dave Mujumdar would like to know, what's your assessment of their actual ability to develop, build, and field these systems, given some of the technological limitations that Russia faces? Well, that's a great question. In 2012, Russia had about 140 UAVs. In 2020, Russia has over 200, uh, I'm sorry, over 2,000 UAVs, and the MOD promised to acquire 300 UAV systems annually. So clearly, Russia can ramp up the production, the testing, and evaluation, and actual use of these systems. And of course, uh, again, objectively speaking, Syria for them was um, um, sort of an unprecedented example where they could use these advanced systems in actual combat. Most importantly for the Russian military in Syria, the representatives of uh, military industrial enterprises that supplied weapons used in Syria were actually on site and present in Syria. So that if um, something had to be tweaked, something had to be repaired, changed, or if the military had an advice for uh, these uh, military production facilities on what should work better in a particular system, that advice was um, incorporated essentially uh, right there on the spot. So we know with the UAV use that Russian military can actually step up when it comes to their tactical systems. Uh, when it comes to sort of more sophisticated uh, long-range combat UAVs, for example, which are currently in testing, the situation is a little more difficult for the Russians, but it doesn't mean they will not eventually uh, field something. It just means that the schedule will be pushed to the right, maybe by a few years, maybe even longer. Uh, the same goes for the unmanned underwater vehicles 
and unmanned uh, ground combat vehicles. Russia has been reliant on imported high-tech components, and those imported high-tech components are still used in the Russian military. And the sanctions imposed on Russia after 2014 and 2015 actually exposed the degree to which the Russians were reliant on that um, imported high-tech. So today, MOD is marshalling uh, a significant drive to develop domestic equivalents of those systems, so that in the near future, all, uh, for example, unmanned military systems uh, will be built with domestic parts. That is actually becoming an official requirement. So yeah, Russia faced a couple of difficulties early on, but it has been able to, again, objectively speaking, be fairly successful in ramping up certain activities and using them with relative military success in Syria. We've discussed a lot of systems for land, air, and sea. How about space? What do you see taking place in terms of space capabilities, and, and particularly ASAT capabilities? This is a question from, uh, from Tyler Robinson. That's a great question. Uh, we know the Russians have announced that their UAVs or their unmanned military systems should function uh, in space, uh, hinting that Russians will perhaps be developing certain technologies that would be operational in space. We haven't seen any specific, for example, uh, unmanned military system actually tested in space quite yet. But that capability is discussed as a key capability, um, especially when it comes to, as you mentioned, the, the ASAT. So some long-range UAVs that are supposed to fly at high altitudes and for days at a time uh, will probably be equipped with weapons that can um, themselves um, try to target adversarial satellites. Um, we haven't, again, we haven't seen the tests of those systems quite yet. But the way Russians are going uh, is they're going through stages. So the first stage is to develop a tactical system that can function um, within close proximity to Russia's uh, forces. The next stage was to develop sort of um, a longer range system that can provide a better situational awareness. The third stage, uh, and Russians are actually testing uh, heavy UAVs for, for that particular effort, is to develop a truly long range capability to uh, to target enemies' uh, air defenses and to penetrate those air defenses. And uh, these systems involve uh, the Ohotnik UCAF, as well as Altius, Altair, UAV, and other systems. So um, the, the final stage, I guess, um, in this development cycle will be um, the, the, the fielding of um, either existing or augmented uh, unmanned capabilities that will be able to target adversarial assets in space as well. Here's a question on um, AI being integrated into nuclear weapon systems, nuclear command and control, which I think is particularly important uh, given the, uh, the fraying of arms control agreements. Is there much information in the public domain as to how the Russians are thinking about these types of capabilities in this context? Well, we have information from public sources that are actually coming from Russian academics and some of the policy centers that are affiliated with, uh, with the MLD. And um, the issue there is sort of uh, at, at one point, um, or I, would, I should say on one side, there's caution in how such systems could and should be fielded. And on the other hand, um, there's the trend, the general trend that I described where uh, AI is functioning as a decision-making tool. So faster ability to make decisions, faster ability to analyze information, for the human to make the final sort of decision downrange. And I think the, uh, the debate is kind of, um, is, um, is trying to incorporate both sides. Let's pivot back uh, real quick to lessons learned from Syria. Um, uh, Etienne, you're the Dogon is interested about the discussion around UAV countermeasures in Russia, uh, specifically what the impact uh, the drone swarm attack in 2018 had on Russian thinking on these matters? Well, we know, for example, that uh, Russians have fielded the so-called echelon defense when it comes to counter UAV um, capabilities. And that is the combination of electronic warfare, uh, radars for kind of early warning and detection, as well as the kinetic systems that can shoot down those UAVs. But that echelon defense worked against the less sophisticated uh, UAVs such as uh, the, the, the swarm attack that was mentioned, um, was made up of uh, relatively simple kind of do-it-yourself uh, wooden designs. So we actually don't know how such an echelon defense can work against more sophisticated UAVs. But we do know that today, 
Russian Electronic Warfare Forces and Air Defense Forces are constantly drilling for a counter UAV action. So every electronic warfare drill and exercise, every air defense exercise involves a UAV threat. So Russians have actually built and developed several um, uh, sort of uh, target UAVs that mimic uh, some of the adversarial uh, systems they may encounter. So there's a lot of uh, drilling and there's a lot of exercises across Russia's um, um, electronic warfare and air defense forces to specifically deal with the uh, UAV threat. In fact, one of those uh, uh, one of those target UAVs is supposed to incorporate uh, the design for something that resembles kind of like Global Hawk and, and the American Predator, sort of longer and heavier UAV that has better capability than some of the small UAVs that Russians encountered in Syria. Here's an, uh, a very interesting question from Natalia uh, Yevglevskaya. This is about uh, testing and evaluation and validation of AI. So Natalia points out that uh, US DOD is quite open about lacking uh, T&E tools and validation tools for AI and machine learning models. DOD has been pretty adaptable over the decades when, uh, when new capabilities come online as to how to address that. So what, um, what discussions along these lines are happening in Russia? Are there uh, considerations of reforming the, uh, the OKR, the experimental design work process in Russia as these new capabilities come online? Well, there haven't been a lot of public statements from the MLD um, to that regard. But I did mention that there are, in fact, a lot of debates that are taking place in both unclassified and classified environments. Uh, at Russian military expos, at events dedicated to artificial intelligence. Um, so uh, Russian military has been very open in, um, in stating that it needs to engage its domestic developers as well as to reach out to the international community or to simply monitor what the international community is doing. So I think right now as Russian um, military AI development is taking place, I think they're definitely looking over their shoulder to the AI leaders in the military, and that is United States and China. We haven't seen a lot of public documents, but we do know that the, the debates and discussions are actually taking place. And quite possibly with the Russian experience in Syria and the lessons learned there, especially when it comes to situational awareness and incorporating uh, vast amounts of very um, diverse data into the common sort of operating picture, uh, this is where uh, Russian AI sort of systems are going to become uh, more invested. Let's take a step back and uh, take a broader societal perspective on these developments. Uh, Lewis Shepard is interested to know whether you've seen any signs of domestic civilian pushback on the levels of military investment in AI or more broadly on uh, lethal autonomous weapon system regulations. How, how is the Russian public uh, thinking about these, these big changes at Russia MOD? So the, the short answer is no, we haven't seen the pushback uh, like the one that happened in Google and, and, and other American flagship um, high-tech companies. Uh, mostly because right now, when it comes to a lot of research and development of these systems across the military-industrial complex, practically all of that research is funded by the state. Uh, when we talk about private sector in Russia, we also have to caveat that, that uh, the state still is the main investor in a lot of high-tech and military developments. And the same goes for Russia's, for example, flagship uh, S&T universities. Practically all of them are state-funded. So Russian private sector isn't the same as, for example, American private sector. And in the United States, the high-tech companies like Google and Facebook and Apple and others can actually dictate the terms because of the market share and because of the achievements in that particular um, uh, high-tech sector. In Russia, the situation is reversed. The biggest funder and investor of high-tech development is the state. So you don't bite the hand that feeds you right now. So I think in the near term, it's unthinkable to see the type of uh, protest and pushback against the systems that we have seen, for example, here in the United States or possibly in Europe. But there are debates that are taking place in the Russian media and they're relatively lively debates um, where various authors and various experts talk about what is the meaning of a truly autonomous uh, military system for future conflict and whether that's actually a good idea. It's a nice segue to uh, our next question from Richard Bitzinger. So Richard points out that AI demands a high degree of expertise in cybernetics, so software, algorithms, big data, and the like. 
How does Russia's cyber sector compare with the West and China, and what are its weaknesses? He also wants to know, you know, how much interplay and cross-fertilization there is between the civilian uh, cyber sector and the military. In other words, how much military-civil fusion is going on in Russia at the moment? So I wouldn't necessarily compare the Russia sector with the American sector, the Chinese sector, sort of apples and apples or oranges and oranges. Um, Russia's high-tech sector is a fraction of the American one. It is definitely a fraction of the Chinese one. The investments dollar for dollar are also a fraction of what the United States and China invests. But it's not about the dollars invested. It's about what people get or what the MOD gets back for its investment. And so uh, Russia has a very sophisticated academic system that uh, feeds into some of these sort of military developments. So, uh, in fact, yesterday, um, Russian trade minister spoke about certain advantages that Russia has in the development of high tech. And two of those advantages is the fact that Russia has very uh, educated cadres and has a lot of well-educated people. And he also talked about the strength of Russian fundamental sciences in education. So Russia has a lot of very talented people that could be um, drawn into um, a specific project if that is necessary. Uh, again, I wouldn't necessarily compare that effort in a direct fashion to the American effort as well. After all, the American uh, military budget is bigger than, um, I, I believe the statement is uh, the next sort of five military budgets combined. But that doesn't mean that Russia with its own kind of limited funds when compared to the United States cannot field a specific solution. It doesn't have to match United States dollar for dollar, organization for organization, and effort for effort. It has to have that one specific breakthrough that will then be disseminated across the armed forces. So I mentioned the ERA Technopolis, where a lot of AI research has taken place. I mentioned Russia's own DARPA as an organization, uh, and their budgets are a fraction of the American one. But there's a lot of very interesting and capable research that is taking place there that will eventually be incorporated into the Russian military. Excellent. Well, Sam, uh, we still have over a dozen open questions and unfortunately very little time. So uh, I think we can uh, squeeze in one more. Um, and it's, it's been very difficult to choose these because all these questions are fantastic. But um, I like this one because it, again, looks at um, the broader societal impact of these developments. So um, Andrea Kendall-Taylor points out that you mentioned uh, a new national coordination system that's incorporating AI systems to help analyze text and imagery. So Andrea would like to know, is this for external threats or is this also being used to address perceived domestic threats as well? So that's a good question. The National Defense Coordination Center is supposed to be the MOD oriented. That is, it is the big nerve center um, where all that information will be incorporated and analyzed. And the data that is ingested by the center has to do with the MOD, the status of um, weapons manufacturing, uh, the status uh, of uh, Russian forces domestically and internationally down to sort of the, the, uh, the health conditions of all the soldiers, the larger um, security environment um, that affects Russia. But again, it is an MOD oriented center. It is not the one that, um, uh, is supposed to sort of uh, work um, instead of uh, Russian domestic agencies. But we do probably have to expect that given certain level of domestic threats, some kind of cross-pollination is going to take place between that environment and the Russia's civilian security agencies like the FSB and the Interior Ministry and others. But the National Defense Coordination Center as it stands right now and as admission dictates is MOD oriented only. Great. Thank you, Sam. Now, unfortunately, we're, we're out of time. I, w I wish we could keep going. This has been an absolutely fascinating discussion. Uh, uh, Sam, before, um, before we, I thank our participants, are there any uh, closing thoughts that you'd like to share with us? Well, uh, I'd like to say that probably um, the biggest uh, watershed that Russian military has experienced has been its involvement in Syria. And uh, the lessons learned from that conflict and Russia's ongoing involvement in Syria is probably going to influence Russian military development of advanced systems such as unmanned and AI for decades to come. So this is definitely one conflict that has had the most profound effect on the modern Russian military in this century so far.
Great. Thank you so much, Sam. And thank you to all our participants. Thank you for these great questions. I'm sorry we couldn't get to them all. Um, you know, we'll have to bring Sam back and do this again because we could have easily gone on for another hour with all the questions that were lined up. I learned a ton. I, I hope you did as well. Thank you again for joining us. Be well, be safe, and until next time. You've been listening to CNAS Live. To receive invitations to future public events and to learn more about our experts' work, visit cnas.org join. You can also connect with us on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening.